30. Arley taught and well-practiced feet beat living echoes to the most rapid bars. A foot of ground seemed ample space for all the intricate compilation of the Ralcone Amara, Capers. The tune was changed again and again, again and again was his infinity of steps adapted to its varying sounds, to use a popular phrase. You might have heard a pin drop. Every mouth was closed, every eye fixed upon his rapid feet, and, when at length wearied with exertion, the almost fainting girl was falling to the earth. Her gallant partner caught her in his arms, and, like an infant, bore her to the open air. One loud and general cheer burst from their enclosed lips, a few moments restored the pretty lass to perfect health. Her first words were, Leave me, sir, and save yourself. It was too late, borne on the shoulders of the admiring mob, who, despite his suit of sables now rendered innoxious by the varying color of the crimson kerchief the young bride bound round his neck, he was soon seated in the chair of honor and there, surrounded by his friends, finished the night the lion of the dance, and thus it was that his reverence's heels took steps to preserve his head. F.U.S.D.O.'s transactions and yearly report, of the H.O.K.H.A. and Kumas Literary, Scientific, and Mechanics Institution, continued from our last, an important and advantageous arrangement in the transactions of the society, since its foundation has been the institution of the classes, for the acquisition of a general smattering of everything, more especially as concerning the younger branches of society. It island however, much to be regretted, that the public examination of the juvenile members, upon the subjects they had listened to during the past course, did not turn out so well as the committee could have wished. The various professors had taken incredible pains to teach the infant philosophers correct answers to the separate questions that would be asked them in order that they might reply with becoming readiness. Unfortunately the examiner began at the wrong end of the class, and threw them all out, except the middle one. We subjoin a few of the questions, state the distance, in miles, from the Hanwell Lunatic Asylum to the Tuesday in Easter week, and show how long a man would be going from one to the other, if he traveled at the rate of four gallons a minute, required to know the advantages of giving tracts to poor people who cannot read and how many are equivalent to a sliding-scale penny buster, in the way of nourishment, was Lord John Russell in his Windsor uniform, ever mistaken for a two-penny postman, if so, what great man imagined the affinity, the school of design and drawing has made very creditable progress, and the subscribers will be gratified in learning, that one of the pupils sent in a design for the Nelson testimonial, which would in all probability have been accepted, had not the decision been made in the usual preconcerted underhand manner, following the columnar idea of Mr. Railton, our talent pupil had put forth the peculiarly appropriate idea, the shaft would have been formed by a sea telescope of gigantic proportions, pulled out to its utmost extent, on the summit of this Nelson would have been seated, as on the main top, smoking his pipe, from which real smoke would have issued, this would have been produced by a stove at the bottom of the column, whose object was to furnish a steady supply of baked potatoes, and influenced by the fluctuations of the market, to the cabman of Trafalgar Square, and the street sweepers at Charing Cross, the artist who designed the elegant structure at King's Cross, which partakes so comprehensively of the attributes of a pump, a watch house, a lamp post, and a turnpike, would have superintended its erection, and a carved figurehead might have been purchased, for a mere song, to crown the elevation, it would not have much mattered whether the image was intended for Nelson or not, because, from its extreme elevation, no one, without a spyglass, 
could have told one character from another to air from Lord John Russell, George Stevens from Shakespeare, Muntz from the Duke of Brunswick, or anybody else. The museum, the museum of the institution has been gradually increasing in valuable additions, and donations are respectfully requested from families having any dust-collecting articles about their houses which they are anxious to get rid of. The first curiosities presented were, of course, those which have formed the nucleus of every museum that was ever established, and consisted of South Sea Islanders paddles and spears, North American moccasins and tomahawks, and sandwich not in count, but in the Pacific Ocean canoes and fishing tackle. In addition, we have received the following, which the society begged to acknowledge, the jawbone of an animal, supposed to be a cow, found two feet below the surface, in digging for the Great Western Railway, near Slough, Farthing, Penny, and sixpence, of the reign of George IV, piece of wood from the Red Funnel steamboat sunk off the Isle of Dogs, in August, 1841, which had been underwater nearly six days, a variety of articles manufactured from the above, sufficient to build a boat twelve times the size, may be purchased of the librarian, a floor tile, in excellent preservation, from the old Lacan Snidey workhouse kitchen, before the new union was built, specimens of pebbles collected from the gravel pits at Highgate, and a valuable series of oyster shells, discovered the day after Bartholomew Fair, near the corner of Cock Lane, a small lizard, caught in the Regent's Park, preserved in gin and water, in a soda water bottle, and denominated by the librarian, a heffet, library, advertisement half of the Times newspaper for March, 1838, playbill of the English opera during Wolf's management, supposed to be that of the memorable night 116L, for S, was taken, in hard cash, at the doors, view of the execution of the late Mr. Greenacre in front of Newgate, published by Cadmuck, from a drawing by an unknown artist, very rare, Miss Pantomime, refused at the Haymarket, entitled, Harlequin and the Hungarian Daughter, or, All My I and Betty Martinezzi, with the whole of the songs, choruses, and incidental combats and situations, presented by the author, in company with a receipt for red and green fire, bound copy of sermons preached at Lacan Snivy Church, by the Reverend Peter Twaddle, on the occasions, of building a vessel for the national schools, of outfitting the missionaries who are exported annually to be eaten by the Catawampaus Indians, on the death of Mr. Grubley, the retired cheesemonger, who endowed the weathercock, and in aid of the funds of the newly born baby clothes bag and basket institution, printed at the desire of his, he fears, in this instance, to partial parishioners, and presented by himself, our foreign relations, the Treaty of the Four Powers, to which Chelsea, Battersea, Brompton, and Wandsworth are parties, and from which Pimlico has hitherto obstinately stood aloof, has at length been ratified by the re-entry of that impetuous suburb into the general views of Middlesex. We have now right to call upon Pimlico to disarm, and to cut off its extra watchmen with a promptitude that shall show the sincerity with which it has joined the neighboring powers in the celebrated Treaty of Kensington. It is already known that, by this document, Moses Haley is recognized as hereditary beadle, and Abraham Parker is placed in undisturbed possession of the post of waterman on the coach stand in the outskirts. We are not among those who expect to find a spirit of propagandism prevailing in the policy of the powers of Pimlico. The lamplighter who lights the district is a man of sound discernment, and there is everything to hope from the moderation he has always exhibited. S.I.B.D.H.O.R.P. on the Corn Law. Sithorpe came out in full fig at Sir Robert Peel's dinner. 
while he was having his hair curled, and the irons were heating, he asked the two-penny operator what was his opinion of the corn law question. The barber's answer suggested the following conduct, Why am I like a man eating a particular sort of fancy bread? Because, answered the tonsor, you are having this reply made the colonel's hair stand on end, taking it quite out of curl. Fish sauce. The boy Jones, in one of his visits to the palace, to avoid detection, secreted himself up the kitchen chimney. The intense heat necessary for the preparation of a large dish of white bait for Her Majesty's dinner compelled him to relax his hold, and in an instant he was precipitated among the black wall delicacies. The indignant cook immediately demanded his business there. Don't you see? Observed the Yonker. I'm Punch's information for the people. Number 4. Natural History. Definition. The history of naturals, which chiefly include the human species and of simples, birds, occupies the branch of science we are about to enlighten our readers upon. It treats, in fact, of animated nature, while physical history instead of being the history of apothecaries hall, as many suppose deals exclusively with inanimate matter, of genus, species, and orders. If, in the vegetable world, we commence with the buttercup, and trace all the various kinds and sizes of plants that exist, up to the pine Norwegian, and down again to the hoboe cormix princesses, if, among the lower animals, we begin with a gnat and go up to an elephant, or select from the human species a Lord John Russell, and place him beside a Professor Wheel, we shall see that nature provides an endless variety of all sorts of everything. Now, to render a knowledge of everything in natural history as difficult of acquirement as possible to everybody, the scientific world divides nature into the above-mentioned classes, to which Latin names are given. For instance, it would be vulgarly ridiculous to call a cat by its right name, and when one says cat, a dogmatic naturalist is justified in thinking one means a lion or a tiger, both these belonging to the category of cats, hence, a cat is denominated, for shortness, philizagitiacus, an ass is turned into a horse, by being an equus, a woman into a man, for with him she is equally homo. Of this last species it is our purpose exclusively to treat. The variety of it we commence with is, the barber homo emolientissimus, t-r-u-e-f-i-d-e, physical structure and peculiarities. The most singular peculiarity of the barber island that although, in his avocations, he always is what is termed a strapper, yet his stature is usually short. His tongue, however, makes up for this deficiency, being remarkably long, a beautiful provision of nature, for while he is seldom called upon to use his legs with rapidity, his lingual organ is always obliged to be on the run, his eyes are keen, and his wits sharp, his mouth is tinged with humor, and his hair particularly when threatening to be gray with powder unique, manner, prepossessing, crop, clothes, fingers, dirty, toes, turned out, he seldom indulges in whiskers, for his business is to shave, one, habits, reproduction, and food, a singular uniformity of habits is observable amongst barbers, they all live in shops curiously adorned with playbills and pomatum pots, and use the same formulary of conversation to every new customer, all are politicians on both sides of every subject, and if there happen to be three sides to a question, they take a triangular view of it, two, reproduction, some men are born barbers, Others had barbarism thrust upon them. The first class are brought forth in but small numbers, for shavers seldom pair. The second take to the razor from disappointment in trade or in love. This is evident, from the habits of the animal when alone, at which period, 
if observed, a deep, mysterious, melodramatic gloom will be seen to overspread his countenance. He is essentially a social being, company is as necessary to his existence as beards. 3. Food. Upon this subject the most minute researches of the most prying naturalists have not been able to procure a crumb of information. That the barber does eat can only be inferred, it cannot be proved, for no person was ever known to catch him in the act, if he does masticate. He munches in silence and in secret, not so of drinking. Only last week we saw, with our own eyes, a pot of ale in a barber's shop, and very good ale it was, too, for we tasted it. Geographical distribution of barbers. Although the majority of barbers live near the pole, they are pretty diffusely disseminated over the entire face of the globe. The advance of civilization has, however, much lessened their numbers, for we find, wherever valets are kept, barbers are not, and as the magnet turns towards the north, they are attracted to the east. In Street James's, the shavers' occupations gone, but throughout the whole of Wapping, the distance is very short a lecture on morality, by punch. Moral philosophers are the greatest fools in the world. I am a moral philosopher, I am no fool though, who contradicts me, if any, speak, and come within reach of my cudgel. I am a moral philosopher of a new school. The schoolmaster is abroad, and I am the schoolmaster, but if anybody says that I'm abroad, I will knock him down. I am at home, and now, good people, attend to me, and you will hear something worth learning. The reason why I call all moral philosophers fools island because they have not gone properly to a work. Each has given his own peculiar notions, merely, to the world. Now, different people have different opinions, some like apples, and others prefer another sort of fruit, with which, no doubt, many of you are familiar, who shall decide when doctors disagree. My system of morality is the result of induction. I am very fond of bacon I mean. The bacon recommended to you by the Society for the Diffusion of Full Knowledge, Lord Bacon. I therefore study the actions of mankind, and draw my inferences accordingly. The people whose conduct I attend to are those who get on best in the world, for the object of all morality is to make ourselves happy. And as long as we are so, what, my good friends, does it signify? The first thing that you must do in the study of Morals Island to get rid of all prejudices. Bacon and I quite agree upon this point. By prejudices I mean your previous notions concerning right and wrong. Dr. Johnson calls morality, the doctrine of the duties of life. In this definition I agree. The doctor was a clever man. I very much admire the knockdown arguments that he was so fond of. It is the way in which I usually reason myself. Now the duties of life are twofold our duty to others and our duty to ourselves. Our duty to ourselves is to make ourselves as comfortable as possible. Our duty to others is to make them assist us to the best of their ability in so doing. This is the plan on which all respectable persons act, and it is one which I have always followed myself. What are the consequences? See how popular I am, and, what is more, observe how fat I have got. Here is a corporation for you. Here is a leg. What think you of such a cap as this, and of this embroidered coat, who says that I am not a fine fellow, and that my system is not almost as fine? Let him argue the point with me, if he dare. Happiness consists in pursuing our inclinations without disturbance, and without getting into trouble. Make it, then, your first rule of conduct always to do exactly as you please, that island if you can. I am not like other moralists, who talk in one way and act in another. What I advise you to do, 
is nothing more than what I practice myself, as you have very often observed, I dare say, be careful to show, invariably, a proper respect for the laws, that is to say, when you do anything illegal, take all the precautions that you can against being found out, here, perhaps, my example is somewhat at variance with my doctrine, but I am stronger, you know, than the executive, and therefore, instead of my respecting it, it ought to respect me, be sure to keep a quiet conscience, in order that you may secure this greatest of blessings, never allow yourselves to regret any part of your past behavior, and whenever you feel tempted to do so, take the readiest means that you can think of to banish reflection, or, as Lord Byron very properly terms it, the blight of life, the demon thought, you have observed that, after having knocked anybody on the head, I generally begin to dance and sing, this I do, not because I am troubled with any such weakness as remorse, but in order to instruct you, I do not mean to say that you are to conduct yourselves precisely in the same manner under similar circumstances, a pipe, or a pot, or a pinch of snuff in short, any means of diversion will answer your purpose equally well, adhere strictly to truth whenever there is no occasion for lying, be particularly careful to conceal no one circumstance likely to redound to your credit, but when two principles clash, the weaker, my good people, must, as the saying island go to the wall, if, therefore, it be to your interest to lie, do so, and do it boldly, no one would wear false hair who had hair of his own, but he who has none, must, of course, wear a wig, I do not see any difference between false hair and false assertions, and I think a lie a very full invention, it is like a coat or a pair of breeches, it serves to clothe the naked, but do not throw your falsifications away, I like a proper economy, some silly persons would have you invariably speak the truth, my friends, if you were to act in this way, in what department of commerce could you succeed, how could you get on in the law, what vagabond would ever employ you to defend his cause, what practice do you think you would be likely to procure as a physician, if you were to tell every old woman who fancied herself ill, that there was nothing the matter with her, or to prescribe abstinence to an alderman, as a cure for indigestion, what would be your prospect in the church, where, not to mention a few other little trifles, you would have, when you came to be made a bishop, to say that you did not wish to be any such thing, remember my friends, truth is all very well when the telling of it is convenient, but when it is not, give me a bouncing lie, but that one lie, object the advocates of uniform veracity, will require twenty more to make it good, very well, then, tell them, ever have a due regard to the sanctity of oaths, this you will evince by never using them to support a fiction, except on high and solemn occasions, such as when you are about to be invested with some public dignity, but avoid any approach to a superstitious veneration for them, it is to keep those thin-skinned and impracticable individuals who are infected by this failing from the management of public affairs, that they have been, in great measure, devised, never break a promise, unless bound to do so by a previous one, and promise yourselves from this time forth never to do anything that will put you to inconvenience, never take what does not belong to you, for, as a young pupil who formerly attended these lectures pathetically expressed himself, he furnishing, at the time, in his own person, an illustration of the maxim, him as prigs what isn't his, then us cops must go to prison, but what is it that does not belong to you, I answer, whatever you cannot take with impunity, never fail, however, to appropriate that which the law does not protect, 
This is a duty which you owe to yourselves, and in order that you may thoroughly carry out this principle, procure, if you can, a legal education, because there are a great many flaws in titles, agreements, and the like, the knowledge of which will often enable you to lay hands upon various kinds of property to which at first sight you might appear to have no claim. Should you ever be so circumstanced as to be beyond the control of the law, you will, of course, be able to take whatever you want, because there will be nothing then that will not belong to you. This, my friends, is a grand moral principle, and, as illustrative of it, we had an example as schoolboys say in their themes in Alexander the Great, and besides, in all other conquerors that had ever lived, from Nimrod down to Napoleon inclusive, speak evil of no one behind his back, unless you are likely to get anything by so doing. On the contrary, have a good word to say, if you can, of everybody, provided that the person who is praised by you is likely to be informed of the circumstance, and, the more to display the generosity of your disposition, never hesitate, on convenient occasions, to bestow the highest eulogies on those who do not deserve them, be abstemious in eating and drinking at your own expense, but when you feed at another person's, consume as much as you can possibly digest, let your behavior be always distinguished by modesty, never boast or brag, when you are likely to be disbelieved, and do not contradict your superiors that is to say, when you are in the presence of people who are richer than yourselves, never express an opinion of your own, live peaceably with all mankind, if you can, but, as you cannot, endeavor, as the next best thing, to settle all disputes as speedily as possible, by coming, without loss of time, to blows, provided always that the debate promises to be terminated, by reason of your superior strength in your own favor, and that you are not likely to be taken up for knocking another person down, it is very true that I individually, never shun this kind of discussion, whatever may be the strength and pretensions of my opponent, but then, I enjoy a consciousness of superiority over the whole world, which you, perhaps, may not feel, and which might, in some cases, mislead you, I think, however, that a supreme contempt for all but yourselves is a very proper sentiment to entertain, and, from what I observe of the conduct of certain teachers, I imagine that this is what is meant by the word humility. You must, nevertheless, be careful how you display it, do so only when you see a probability of overawing and frightening those around you, so as to make them contributors to the great aim of your existence self-gratification. Be firm, but not obstinate. Never change your mind when the result of the alteration would be detrimental to your comfort and interest, but do not maintain an inconvenient inflexibility of purpose. Do not, for instance, in affairs of the heart, simply because you have declared, perhaps with an oath or two, that you will be constant till death, think it necessary to make any effort to remain so. The case stands thus, you enter into an agreement with a being whose aggregate of perfections is expressible. We will say, by twenty. Now, if they would always keep at that point, there might be some reason for your remaining unaltered, namely, you're not being able to help it, but suppose that they dwindle down to 1912, the person, that island the whole sum of the qualities admired, no longer exists, and you, of course, are absolved from your engagement, but mind, I do not say that you are justified in changing only in case of a change on the opposite side, you may very possibly become simply tired. In this case, your prior promise to yourself will absolve you from the performance of the one in question. And now, my good friends, before we part, 
let me beg of you not to allow yourselves to be diverted from the right path by a parcel of cant. You will hear my system stigmatized as selfish, and I advise you, whenever you have occasion to speak of it in general society, to call it so too. You will thus obtain a character for generosity, a very desirable thing to have, if you can get it cheap. Selfish, indeed, is not self the axis of the earth out of which you were taken? The fact island good people, that just as notions the very opposite of truth have prevailed in matters of science, so have they, likewise, in those of morals, a set of impracticable doctrines, under the name of virtue, have been preached up by your teachers, and it is only fortunate that they have been practiced by so few, those few having been, almost to a man, poisoned, strangled, burnt, or worse treated, for their pains, but here comes the police, to interfere, as usual, with the dissemination of full truths, farewell, my good people, and whenever you are disposed for additional instruction, I can only say that I shall be very happy to afford it to you for a reasonable consideration, a bower of bliss in SDA and GADA, oh, fly to the bower fly with me, although our new song I forget which, if you take a walk over Waterloo Bridge, and, after going straight on for some distance, turn to the right, you will find yourself in the new cut, where you may purchase everything, from a secretaire bookcase to a savoy, on the most moderate terms possible, the tradesmen of the new cut are a peculiar class, and the butchers, in particular, seem to be brimming over with the milk of human kindness, for every female customer is addressed as, my love, while every male passer by is saluted with the friendly greeting of, now, old chap, what can I do for you? The greengrocers in this happy land earnestly invite the ladies to pull away at the mountains of cabbages which their sheds display, while little boys on the pavement offer what they playfully designate a plummy ha single quote the single quote orth of onions to the casual passenger. At the end of the new cut stands the marsh gate, which, that night, is all gas and ghastliness, dirt and dazzle, blackguardism and brilliancy. The illumination of the adjacent gin palace throws a glare on the haggard faces of those who are sauntering outside. Having arrived thus far, watch your opportunity, by dodging the cabs and threading the maze of omnibuses, to effect a crossing, when you will find Stangate Street, running out, as some people say, of the Westminster Road, though of the fact that a street ever ran out of the road, we take leave to be skeptical. Well, go on down the Stangate Street, and when you get to the bottom, you will find, on the left hand, the bower, and a pretty bower at island not of leaves and flowers, but of bricks and mortar, it is not, a bower of roses by Bendermere stream, with the nightingale singing there all the day long, in the days of my childhood twas like a sweet dream, to sit mid the roses and hear the bird's song, that bower, and its music, I never forget, but oft, when alone, at the close of the year, I think is the nightingale singing there yet, are the roses still fresh by the combender mirror? Remember there is none of the sentimental twaddle about the bower to which we are alluding. There are no roses, and no nightingale, but there are lots of smoking, and plenty of vocalists. We will paraphrase more, since we can hardly do less, and we may say, with truth, there is a bower in Stangate's respectable street. There is a company acting there all the night long, in the days of my childhood. Agad what a treat to listen attentive to some thundering song, that bower and its concert I never forget, but oft one of happens my pockets are clear, I think, are the audience sitting there yet, still smoking their pipes, and imbibing their beer, upon entering the door, you are called on to pay your money, 
which is threepence for the saloon and sixpence for the boxes. The saloon is a large space fitted up something like a chapel, or rather a court of justice, there being in front of each seat a species of desk or ledge, which, in the places last named would hold prayer books or papers, but at the bower are designed for tumblers and pewter pots. The audience, like the spirits they imbibe, are very much mixed, the greater portion consisting of respectable mechanics, while here and there may be seen an individual, who, from his seedy coat, well brushed for an nine hat, highly polished but palpably patched high lows, outrageously shaved face and absence of shirt collar, is decidedly an amateur, who now and then plays a part, and as he is never mistaken for an actor on the stage, tries when off to look as much like one as possible. The boxes are nothing but a gallery, and are generally visited by a certain class of ladies who resemble angels, at least, in one particular, for they are few and far between. But what are the entertainments? A miscellaneous concert, in which the first tenor, habit in a surtout, with the tails pinned back, to a look like a dress coat, apostrophizes his pretty Jane, and begs particularly to know her reason for looking so shy vulgo, shy. Then there is the bass, who disdains any attempt at a body coat, but honestly comes forward in a decided bearskin, and, while going down to G protests emphatically that he's on the CC. Then there is the prima donna, in a pink gauze petticoat, over a yellow calico slip, with lots of jewel sham, an immense color in the very middle of the cheek, but terribly chalked just about the mouth, and shouting the soldier tired, with a most insinuating simper at the corporal of the foot guards in front, who returns the compliment by a most outrageous leer between each whiff of his tobacco pipe. Then comes an overture by the band, which is a little commonwealth, in which none aspires to a league. None condescends to follow, that if they go indiscriminately, and those who get first to the end of the composition, strike in at the point where the others happen to have arrived, so that, if they proceed at sixes and sevens, they generally contrive to end in unison. Occasionally we are treated with Musard's echo quadrilles, when the solos are all done by the octave flute, so are all the echoes, and so is everything but the cana, but the grand performance of the night is the dramatic piece which is generally a three-act opera, embracing the whole debility of the company. There is the villain, who always looks so wretched as to impress on the mind that, if honesty is not the best policy, rascality is certainly the worst. Then there is the lover, whose woe-begone countenance and unhappy gait, render it really surprising that the heroine, in dirty white sarsnet, should have displayed so much constancy. The low comedy is generally done by a gentleman who, while fully impressed with the importance of the low, seems wholly to overlook the comedy, and there is now and then a banished nobleman, who appears to have entirely forgotten everything in the shape of nobility during his banishment. There is not infrequently a display of one of the proprietor's children in a part requiring infant innocence, and as our ideas of that angelic state are associated principally with pudding heads and dirty faces, the performance, 